0: Hey, everyone. Today, I am overjoyed to have Greg Enriquez with me for some conversation. Uh, Greg is a professor at James Madison University. He got his PhD in clinical psychology from the University of Vermont, my alma mater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> where, the, uh, where the original insight for the unified theory uh, came from, actually. Uh, in 2011, he published a new unified theory of psychology, which I just finished and want to dig into. And that explicitly presents itself as an integrative post-postmodern meta-narrative. So I'd love to dig into that. Uh, he writes a regular blog for Psychology Today, where he's introducing ideas like metamodernism, uh, John 4 40 cognitive science framework, and his own Talk paradigm, among many others, to a much broader audience. Um, and so I'm sure everyone not everyone, but a lot of people probably watching this will be already uh, familiar with, uh, with the work that you've been doing and the conversations you've been having with Ravakey and, and Zach Stein and a whole bunch of people in, in our kind of shared community space. So um, anyway, yeah, I'd love to dig into some of the Talk framework and its applications and its vision. Beautiful. And uh, yeah, thanks for, for coming on. So, what? Yeah.
1: Wonderful introduction, man. I really appreciate it. It's lovely to be here. Uh, our connection is overdue, I, th- I feel, given that we occupy these similar spaces and watching what you're doing in relationships and metamodern spirituality. It's lovely to be here and uh, get a good to get a chance to sync up. And I look forward to continuing uh, these conversations cool. down Cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. So, all right. Well, let's dive in. Um, I wanted to first do a little bit of an overview of of the utox system and um that could be done any number of ways i could try to have my go at at summarizing it and then throw it by you and you could say you know is that you know did did, did that work Mm -hmm. um or you can or you know i could just let the maestro speak and kind of give your own (laughs) sort of summary um i don't know if you have a preference there um I'm really fluid and flexible. I'm I'm happy
1: if you want to give it a go, that's good. Uh certainly I'm prepared to give it the 5-minute synopsis if folks if you want to uh, there. There's a lot to it, as you know, sure, it's kind sure, of like sure. a cathedral. So,
0: uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot. All right. Well, of various... how about this? I'll give my little um, kind of synopsis and then maybe okay. we can build it out a little bit. And then I'd love to get Beautiful. into some uh, discussion about finding points of intersection, comparison, distinction of, of you know, of, of a meaningful nature with maybe other frameworks people are familiar with. Um, so the, re- uh, all right. Um, as I mentioned <clears throat> in the introduction, uh, you, this is explicitly framed, uh, in the terms of a, uh, the proposition of sort of a post postmodern grand meta Um, I could, I could cite a page mm-hmm. reference, even a couple to that regard. That's ex- um,
1: yeah, it's a, I said that at least, I think I say it twice in the
0: book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So of course that kind of gets my ears up. And then, um, I, so within that kind of context, which is a very ambitious context, um, And I would say to kind of even frame this even a bit more, one of the things I've been seeing is characteristic of this kind of particular moment, which we're kind of calling metamodernism for that's kind of seemed to be a nice little phrase for this is, is a return to um, thinking about grand narrative uh, uh, frameworks, thinking about grand synthesis uh, projects, thinking, you know, you, you name very well and very I think you do a great job sort of explaining uh, the kind of uh, particularization um, and the sort of h- hyper-focus on uh, specifics and the sort of uh, fragmented nature that comes about in postmodern theorization and and the pitfalls that that, you know, sort of uh, totally. brings into the situation. And so I feel like where I'm seeing this over and over again is is people are recognizing that we need something more than that. We need to integrate... You know the insights of that sort of postmodern contextualization with a bigger understanding of reality, and um, so that this is what you're doing here. Um, Hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, more specifically, I would say you present a a sort of big history um, account uh, that goes all the way back to the origins of the universe, and you present sort of um, a sequence uh, of Let's say, um, well, there there are a sequence of emergent levels of complexity rooted in new emergent uh, information processing systems that create new levels of complexity that then stack on top of each other. And that stack, you know, beginning with matter, which sort of arises out of energy, you get matter, there's life, there's mind and culture. And each one of these has a joint point of like where this new information processing system sort of comes online. So for matter, it's, you know, you talk about quantum gravity. I mean, it's sort of a basically like a physics sort of presupposition there, but, um, and then from, uh, from matter, you get the joint point of sort of, uh, you know, the Darwinian, neo-Darwinian synthesis of genetic information is now the information processing. And then from there you get into mind, which is where um, the, the joint point is uh, behavioral investment theory, I guess, is would be uh, you, you exactly. a theory yep. about that. Um, and mm-hmm. then from there, you get into culture, which is uh, where symbolic language emerges and exactly. notions then about human psychology and self-consciousness is yep. related to language. So that's sort of the stack that emerges. It emerges, uh, you know, in in. Time and it yep. emerges in these sort of yeah sequenced uh, stages of of complexification through information processing. Um, that's sort of the big picture, and yep. then um, yeah. So that was kind. Of, did I do a decent? Beautiful. Okay. Yeah, cool.
1: did great job. Great job. and In fact, that's the wonderful description of the core essence <clears throat> of that. The new map of big history I propose is called the tree of knowledge system mm-hmm. uh, for, for a lot of different reasons. It's called that. But yes, the energy starting with sort of a, actually it starts with sort of an energy information base. Uh, then you get matter, which is the complexification and freezing of energy into chunked. Domains of information, I wouldn't say really it matter processes information, but that's a complicated whatever. But then you get life processing through set of cells and genes, essentially, and then communicating. And then mind is nervous system and animal. And then person culture is language, symbolic language on, on top. And each one of those. Technically, those are dimensions of complexification. The only way I say that is there are actually levels inside each dimension, and that helps to differentiate some, but that's all, all just technical BS. The basic gist that you provide is brilliant, and uh, that is that is central. In fact, I consider that the central key insight uh, that grounds you talk. It's the first key idea when we, if we get into the whole you talk garden frame, which is a partic- another kind of metaphor that I use to kind of guide the system, but I really appreciate that summary. It's brilliant.
0: Cool. All right. So... So using that as sort of our ground, then I'd love to dig into this a bit. Um, so these meta-narrative frameworks, I think, are very uh, a point of great interest in metamodern mm-hmm. communities and the kind Definitely. of turn to meta-narrative thinking again. Uh, a very important meta-narrative framework, um, ha- I-, I would say, two uh, are, that are of particular interest. Uh, for the for the communities that we're in, which is basically the Hanzi meta modernist um kind of sure. meta narrative mm-hmm. that he's sort of espousing there. And in some yep. ways that's that is it itself sort of an extension or a development of uh integral theory frameworks and and that sort of meta ways Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so but what I find interesting about where you're coming at all this from is one largely independent it sounds like and we spoke briefly a little while ago about this but it sounds like you kind of discovered some of that stuff in the process of writing your book and thinking about this which I find really cool because it's not you know it's not sort of like a genetic lineage it's like when there's sort of multiple lines of independent investigation going on here and when those cohere I think that's really exciting um, and, oh. and also um, I think a really important difference is that you're coming at this from a psychological uh background within the field of psychology and you you and and john verbakey and zach stein do a great series on meta psychology where you kind of say uh-huh. lay out the need for a metapsychological framework given sort of the uh-huh. the chaos of, of the field of psychology um yep. so in many ways this work is sort of a response to that and it's a yep. solution to fitting all these things i think very very well done to sort of uh situate all the different kind of currently fragmented fields of psychology into this framework. So that's another important element of this. Um, but so I wanted to ask you this. So given that there are these other sort of frameworks floating around out there, uh-huh. um, what are some points of, of, of commonality and what are some points of, of distinction that you think are important, maybe specifically Beautiful. with one with like integral theory, which I think a lot of people will be very familiar with?
1: Totally. Well, first off, I love that great synopsis, um, and so I'll, I'll let me just double click on a few things, and then I'll come back to integral. Um, so one thing is complete independence. Okay, so my I, when I first published in two thousand three, the first uh, official presentation I made in the professional literature is called the Tree of Knowledge System. That's the mind, uh, matter, life, mind, culture thing, and the theoretical unification of psychology and review of General Psychology. I don't cite Wilbur. That's a two thousand three paper. Because embarrassingly enough, I didn't know about Wilbur. Okay. So this entire system is completely independently generative. And I don't know about Wilbur. Somebody writes me and says, Hey, how come you didn't cite Wilbur? And I was like, Who? Okay. And the reason is because I'm inside the academy deeply, I'm right in the heart of the University of Pennsylvania, University of Vermont. I'm talking with the established academy, <clears throat> you know, people like Steve Pinker are people I'm citing, definitely. Um, and Jonathan Haidt, well, maybe not back then. But anyway, the point of it is, is that I'm in, in, the, I'm in the bowels of the standard academic tradition. OK, um, so that's one thing. A second thing I'll say in relationship to the my syncing up with metamodernism and, and all of its forms is really one of the most amazing synchronicities I've ever encountered in my life. And I've encountered several. Um but um, the idea of a you know post postmodern grand meta narrative uh, that I was framing and that I could transcend the modern and you know modern scientists philosophy Kant Newton all of that into Hegel maybe whatever you get that and the Enlightenment and you get the postmodern critique. <clears throat> The idea that we could find a synthesis between the thesis of science, as it were, and its truth claims, and the antithesis critical claim that everything's contextualized in a system of justification, well... Uh, um, I figured out in my, at least from the system I built is I, actually, those are two partial truths that you can synthesize. Uh, there is a way to frame science in some transcendent truth claims like, Hey, the material universe is made up of atoms. That's a, that's not just a cultural contingent claim. That's a, actually, it's a truth claim. And at the same time, it is a socially sy- uh, constructed system of justification that exists inside a particular historical context. And then you have to understand that. And then I had found a path to then essentially resolve that, thesis, antithesis split, and then say, hey, the next thing will be some synthesis off of this. Okay, uh, Certainly somebody like Roy Bashkar, who I didn't know about critical realism at the time, had seen a very similar kind of bridging between understanding the social construction of knowledge and the uh, Tina principle, there is no alternative, that nature is stratified and science teaches us ontological truths about the world. And that's essentially a very similar pattern. Um, so my uh, synergy, I didn't know anything about metamodernism until, say, 2018, when I'm uh, on Bard's uh, Alexander Bard's intellectual deep web list, and then starting to, then following the wake of Jordan Peterson, all of a sudden I get popped into the rebel wisdom crowd, and then learn both about Lenny Rachel Anderson's metamodernity, um, and then Brent Cooper's doing metamodern stuff, and then I learned the, you know, the Hansi Freineck books, uh, which are back there somewhere in the, and I think the black thing's right down there. Um, And then the explosion of, oh my God, there's an entire structure uh, that essentially is defined as a post-postmodern grand meta-narrative. seeing Hansi's work in relationship to, oh, here's a developmental, psychological, philosophical, sociological analysis of politics Uh, that bridges modernity, postmodernity, and speaks to the way we might socially organize our value systems and and utilize all of that was just breathtaking. Uh, I found Lenny Rachel Anderson's articulation of the evolution of cultural sensibility from the oral indigenous into the traditional into the modern, into the postmodern structure, and then set the stage for one that includes and transcends and creates a metamodern cultural sensibility that has the strengths of each and integrates them to be exactly the kind of sentiment that I was looking for. Um, And another unbelievable metamodern experience of synergy was when I learned the sensibility of metamodernism can be framed in terms of its cultural ethos and things like that, artistic genre, as sincere irony. and this was another thread of, of unbelievable synergy. I was reading here at this computer. Okay. And I was reading on and I saw sincere irony and whatever my schematic was at the time, I saw those two words and they can hit my soul. And I went like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Literally I'm on by myself. I literally have to like turn around and look at that. And I'm like, holy fuck. Mm-hmm. I was called to build this garden and the entire ethos of the garden and the entire structure of what the tree of knowledge that into the garden and this crazy cartoon. I mean, who does peer review on a goddamn cartoon of a garden that says it's all knowledge? I mean, nobody does that, right? It's very ironic. And yet at the same time, it's unbelievably serious, a like dead serious in relationship to its, you know, and, its, and it claims very strong, sincere claims. So I couldn't believe that I'm in the process of having been called into a, an artistic thing, which I was really confused about. I mean, I was like, I was, I never really thought myself as an artist until I built that and the reason was it was a creative, expressive impulse that my soul called to forth. And I don't care what other people thought. It was just, I was just going to build this thing. Uh, I, I knew that I wanted to build this thing. And then to see four years later that there's a genre that was happening in the cultural zeitgeist at large that had exactly the same dialectic that I was playing off of in terms of motif and genre and message. I was like, oh, my God, I'm just part of a zeitgeist here. I'm just getting pulled into a vacuum of a zeitgeist, um, which the Tree of Knowledge Frames is a fifth joint point digital metaverse that we have to somehow figure out how to navigate our way through. Um, it was uh, unbelievable. Uh, and so my synergy with metamodernism uh, and a meta modern spirituality, a sensibility that grounds science in a particular way that extends naturalism in a way that's coherent with our souls and spirits. Um, I mean, and then seeing people like John Verbeke and then all the movements and just being part of this zeitgeist, it's been amazing. It was, I mean, I just, I'm thrilled and, and fascinated and awestruck and spiritually moved and all of that. So, so that's the, the meta modern thing. Um, the Wilbur connection is interesting. Uh, so I get this notice uh, in 2004. Hey, you know, there's a philosopher, psychologist guy who went on a spiritual journey and thinks he built this integral theory that ties philosophy and psychology and spirituality altogether. okay? Um, so I then dive into Wilbur in 2004. Um, at this time, I'm just starting to get loosened. I was raised a new atheist, okay? I'm get trained in behavioral science methodology. I am a critical analytic thinker, okay? Uh, and actually, one of the things that's really interesting, I'll just say out here, I consider myself the most scientific person around, okay? which is, you know, like, and, and at the same time, I'm deeply spiritual. All right. But I actually, I'm deeply scientific in the way I'm organized. Okay. Uh, and like I put that against Sean Carroll or any, you know, physicist Sean Carroll or anybody, I'm actually unbelievably committed to science. Um, but then I was trained in science in a particular way that I realized unbelievably broken and limited. Um, I also get trained in a modernity view of traditional Christianity that was, I realized, unbelievably broken and limited. But my point of it is that 2004, I'm not too far away from a Dawkins God delusion. And almost now I would call myself scientistic in the way I would dr- judge things and definitely trapped in the theistic versus atheistic view, as opposed to now being a nun like a John Berbeke, and we can get into what I'm framed at. But this is 2004. So then I open up Wilbur, and I'll admit I'm fascinated. I am definitely fascinated. Uh, the breadth of it, the depth of it, the interest of it. And the thing that captures me ultimately pretty quickly are two of the, what I would consider the great strengths, and this is an, and I'm not going to say anything novel here, but there's two unbelievably great strengths to Wilbur's view. Uh, and that's captured in all qual. Uh, but the, it is the quadrants. The quadrants capture my attention immediately. As a brilliant epistemological, I consider them an epistemological scheme. And what I mean by that, that these are the ways people know. um, And these are frames of knowing and seeing the two by two frame of knowing hit me like a fucking ton of bricks. Mm. Uh, And I've always deeply appreciated that. I think it's one of the most elegant, it's kind of like the tree of knowledge. It's one of the most elegant articulations on the tree of knowledge, more metaphysical and ontological, but it's one of the most elegant philosophical schematics uh, ever been built. I mean, it's really brilliant, beautiful. The other thing that I saw is this developmental line, this evolutionary developmental line with a focus on consciousness, uh, you know, human development and, and then into spirituality. Now, when I'm in my Dawkins mode, okay, what happened in retrospect, I had a pretty negative reaction to overall. I mean, those were my very strong positives, but then I'm a hardcore scientist, okay, I'm feeling in retrospect, a bit competitive and a bit ashamed that I didn't know about this guy because I'm on record and I haven't cited him, you know, and then, but he's out of the Academy. I'm in the inside of the Academy and you're an arrogant, you're an arrogant person when you're on the inside
0: and you're basically, I was sorry to interrupt, but I almost wonder if it would, if it would have hurt you to cite Wilbur, because I mean, the the reason why I mentioned the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the independent origin of your work is as being very rooted in the academy is. Uh, is because I think that that's a significant thing and we can talk about it, but the, okay. the role that the Academy plays and the way that it views certain kinds of inquiries and frameworks yep. and framings of things is interesting. And, and certain site uh, sources might even uh, sort of be kind of del- deleterious to credibility in certain contexts. So it totally. could be a happy accident of some kind.
1: Right, I mean, and certainly uh, I was, it was, it's embarrassing as a scholar that I didn't throw a citation or two of Wilbur in there because it reveals my ignorance of him. Uh, I would not have cited him favorably (laughs) at the time. So I would have said, well, there are some other ones, but obviously. Mm. And what I would have immediately nailed him on is a spiritual ontology. Okay, so Wilbur basically commits to a spiritual ontology, essentially. So, okay, through his insights and connections to the East, we've realized that actually the ultimate ground of being is spirit. And, and somehow the, you know, the ground of being through his introspection, he's able to see beyond the Big Bang and before the Big Bang, you go up to spirit and spirit collapses and then turns into the Big Bang and now we're realizing this, but the ultimate ontology has to be seen as a spiritual ontology. Well, from your, you know, physicist, you know, show me the fucking money
0: here, buddy. You know, what are
1: you talking about? You do you meditate a little bit and all of a sudden, you know, the beginning of the universe. Um, So that's your you know, that's your naturalist scientific edge. And I saw that and saw that as deeply limited. And and then would have basically been like, oh, okay. And so my early reaction to Wilbur although I was deeply impressed by the two strong parts of it, what I still consider to be the two strong points. Um, so the other ones is developmental, so all qual, all quadrants. And then, so he's got the quadrants and the lines. Um, then what happens is I have a really interesting and powerful connection with a man by the name of Andre Marquis. He's a professor of counseling uh, psychology up at, or in counseling, and he's really a psychotherapist. And we merged together in the world of integrated psychotherapy. In fact, I'm the uh, incoming president of the Society for Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. And uh, uh, what um, Andre had done was he had been, he had gone through a developmental path on his own, through some spirituality stuff and Eastern wisdom stuff, and then uh, constructive developmental psychology through Michael Mahoney. And then he finds Wilbur and then sees Wilbur as offering an unbelievable schematic to tie together a lot of the different epistemologies in psychotherapy and creates the integral psychotherapy model. So other people were doing it, but I think he did it by far the best. Um, and then he and I become friends. Some people connect us. Some of you, you know, like I have some connections and really guy knows a lot of networks. He's like, Hey, you got to talk to Andre. Uh, and then I, I'm like, and then we connect and we're like brothers of another mother, you know, it's immediately like, Oh my God. And so then he teaches me integral from a different perspective he was critical of some of the spiritual ontology but he then shows me how integral organizes the world of psychotherapy and i'm deeply impressed i'm de- i love andre and we've been good friends ever since this goes back to 2007 and and we're, we're going to present something at an upcoming conference and you know so he and i then have been and then that that afforded one level of appreciation for integral for me um and at that level i was like okay St. wilbur's a serious scholar let's not fuck around you know this is a serious shit and um and so there was that uh, and then I, we actually had some integral unified and still do synergies about actually unified theory at that time as unified theory of psychology. It comes unified theory of knowledge. Um, unified theory does certain things very well and it does but it's short on other things and then Wilbur's does some things very well. Um, and it's short on others and we're like together we think we can build. And indeed I think that our conversations together have shown how an integral unified framework is possible for. To organize psychotherapy. Um, and that's part of our mission. So then what happens uh, over the last then three years? Okay, um, a number of things happen to me personally. The short answer is: like many people, that is this space, I get sucked into the wake of Jordan Peterson, okay? And literally have a fight with my program about Jordan Peterson. I get pulled in the whole post-Jordan Peterson phenomena as the meta modern sensibility that looks at this and says hey you can be on the left you can be on the right but the people that are insanely polarized about this are fucking insane <laughs> i mean like you know this is a reasonable guy doing these re- interesting things watching the polarization culture war around him is like we're obviously insane i mean it's a normal psychologist actually a very sophisticated psychologist and the fact that people are going insane about him was insane to me and that was fascinating and then of course in the context of that i get into the rebel wisdom world i get into the meta modern world and i then see integral in a new light um, as a meta modern brotherhood function, I also learn more about CRIT, which is the critical realist integral theory bridge, whereby Roy Baskar stuff, so the Zach Steins and Benita Roys and other people that had involved in making some of those bridges, I learned all about that synergy, which I wasn't aware. I knew a little bit about critical realism, but I didn't know that critical realism and integral had synced up. And the way in which some people like Paul Marshall had been like, oh, well, um, the ontology perspective from critical realism is great. And the epistemology perspective of Wilbur is great. And then I read some of the, you know, critical meta theory review stuff uh, on that A couple of books came out on that. And I was just blown away watching that try to synthesis. So then I returning and Wilbur's analysis of the colors and mean and the mean green machine, I thought I actually got chewed up by the mean green machine in my own and so I thought, well, that was really great. So his materialistic flatland view, his critique of society, um, I know that the whole integral community did its diaspora and Ken had some fucking problems, let's be clear. Um, but I came to deeply respect uh, that. And the short answer is what I already alluded to, is that the, what I see him in terms of affording the critique of the academy the need for what i would now call a coherent integrated pluralism and we need synthetic post you know uh, post postmodern grand meta narratives to coordinate the coherent integrated pluralism sensibility to move us from the chaotic fragmented pluralism to move us away from a scientistic materialism that's soul killing to bridges to appreciate much richer diversity of preachers that revitalizes the soul and spirit. So that's now my sensibility. And then I've gone off the deep end on the academy anyway. I start becoming a shaman on a hill. I'm outside the academy more and more. And so my affiliation for what Ken was doing just grew tremendously. Um, and the short answer of uh, the blend of affiliation is there's a, the sixth we, uh, thing on there. It's called the Wheel of Development. Okay. It's the little black and white one. It's actually a picture of a wheel. And um, what it has is an axle of adaptation, and then around this, are the growth of various domains of human one is identity, uh, another's values and virtues, morality, another one is abilities and talents, another's challenges, another's dispositional t- traits. Those are five different domains. I can take Wilbur's lines of development, basically. If you take integral psychology and you look at its it's lines of development across all the different domains, I can basically take that wheel of development, which I have not. As Zach Stein's like, Henrikus, you're underdeveloped on development. I was like, it's totally true, Zach. Help me out. You know, I was like, I've done plenty, but, you know, help me out, Zach. So, okay. So, it's, it's underdeveloped on development. I can take Wilbur's lines and basically draw lines off the spoke of that wheel, you know, Um, And, uh, you know, I'm critical of Wilbur because he really understands the problem of psychology and the the equivocation of language is shit in my field, and he's guilty of that, he just jams everything in there and it's not pristine and clear, it's just one label after another of ambiguous space. But the general overview of it is brilliant, and I can, so you can plug his lines of development inside the wheel of development on the tree the tree of life behind me sixth branch particular okay and the other thing was is that i can now take in fact i've incorporated in the gra- one of the bees and in other areas i can take the quadrants and epistemologically you know sync them up very deeply um so i, I just I'll, hey yeah i want to bridge over and synergistically connect and grab those quadrants and help epistem an, an integrated pluralistic epistemological vantage point point. and there's an enormous amount of his ontology of the great being and being that's basically TOK. Okay. Uh, there's minor, you know, the core of it, at spirituality versus what I call energy information. And then I'm agnostic about the ultimate ground of reality. Um, but anyway, so you get this um, developmental line, this critique about materialistic flatland, the need for a coherent integrated pluralism, and then this beautiful epistemological quadrants that I now can sync up with somebody who sees psychotherapy through the integral perspective. I'm seeing it through the unified approach perspective, see all of that harmony, recognize the need to move from a current chaotic fragmented pluralism to a post-postmodern grand meta narrative that's a coherent integrated pluralism, which means that there are multiple perspectives that are giving frames. And now I can sit in very, very good harmony with the integral vantage point.
0: Wow. Okay. So let's, let's zoom in on some of that then, because I think that's a great, sure that's a great sort of like connection of a whole bunch of different things so and maybe maybe in some ways this will seem remedial and a bit rudimentary at first but i think it's i i think it's important and i I, i'd like to see some pretty explicit uh you know uh, synergies and harmonies and synthesis go on because at the very at the very first level i think it's important to establish that um just beyond the fact that different people are tuning back into the idea of of thinking in in grand narratological terms there's mm-hmm. also a lot mm-hmm. of consensus about what that narrative is. And that's what I'm one of the yeah. things that I want to kind of put my finger on a little bit here. And it's a it's a narrative of big history that unfolds via sequential kind of emergent leaps of complexity yep. and that yep. at these what you locate as these joint points, right, there are new kind of qualitatively different yep. uh, uh, domains or realms that that come online yep. um that that can't be you know reduced to their substrates the way that sort of modern exactly. reductionism would do and i think exactly. that that's a big part of how how this narrative kind of winds up saving the soul <laughs> as it were from sort of the clutches exactly. of it's reductionism 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: lovely Sid. lovely i know
0: 100 agreement OK, so like so so that so there's some really interesting overlap there um, that I'm seeing. And, and, and again, just sort of like trying to block this in like a composition. I was like, OK, if there's a meaningful way that that is sort of the basic narrative that we're working in now, we can start to clarify and refine here. And so, um, you know, Wilbur's got physiosphere, biosphere, new Right. So going from the, the material to the biological to the sort of mental. Um, now you've got yep. matter, life, mind, culture. So where he's sort of working yep. with three, and of course he didn't coin those, I guess he's taking those from, uh, I think, but, um, mm-hmm. the way that I kind of sync those up and I would just curious to see if this is what you would, if you think this is the right way of framing this is that, um, sort of the physiosphere, I think pretty maps onto what you're talking about is matter. Totally. What Wilbur says as the biosphere, I think you make a a distinction between um, uh, life and mind, because as I read you, what you're talking about with mind is not like a human mind, my self-conception of everything. You're talking about sentience. You're talking about animal level perception, motivation, things like that, Um, which I think most people would would relate to the biosphere that's we haven't reached the level yep. of the new sphere. So in totally. the biosphere, we could kind of link up with with life and and mind. And then what you'd call culture, which is where the with the joint point mm-hmm. is with language, which I think this is a really fascinating field to explore too. And I think shed some really cool light on on this whole thing is by framing the joint point there as language, and that language is the sort of introductory element that starts generating the possibility of self-consciousness and also then symbol construction etc that that's where culture comes from i think well one just to finish that little taxonomy there i think Mm -hmm. that that maps pretty well with the new sphere that wilbur speaks about um totally but it also clarifies it in an interesting way because now we're really getting to what's at the core of it which is the linguistic emergence which is also i think pretty unquestionably a sort of more or less universally recognized, um, f- a unique feature of humanity. Which isn't to say that other animals don't communicate, but the idea of sort of, of symbolic language and everything, and tying that to self-consciousness is then a very interesting thing to do. So, anyway, but just maybe start there, like that. Totally. You find that a decent sort of mapping. Um, oh, it's the, it's
1: exactly the right mapping. Okay, and and, and so most, uh, in fact, I have a book right here um, called. Uh, Many people do essentially what you do. is three big bangs. Oh, interesting. Okay? Who's so that by? From, uh, this by Holmes Ralston the third. Okay? Cool. And big history sort of is the same way if you know how to pay attention to the threshold. So the uh, so you get okay. Big bang actually happens. You go to some sort of energy or nothing to matter or whatever quantum fluctuation gives rise to the physical universe. Okay, physio sphere. And then almost everybody then jumps over and says, okay, life, uh, big history has four little, the actual big history world has eight thresholds total. They have four thresholds in that first jump. And then the next one's into life. And then they have a few subcategories of that. And then they go up to persons. Okay. Uh, and so, and so the idea of the physiosphere, the biosphere, and then the newosphere, um, those three is very, very common, uh, for the big history flavors uh, if like, in other words, when you do big history, sort of, oh, what are these complexification issues? And then the getting the specifics about this complexification is where all the marbles are. Well, from within a you talk kind of perspective of what unique it offers. But from your point of view, or let's jump out and be like, hey, post-postmodern grand meta narrative, from a science side perspective, I would definitely argue, we want to make it simple, the natural science side perspective is pretty fucking clear. And that is, if you take any kind of realism, you have a time by complexification, evolution that captures the universe and Big Bang, then matter happens, and then life happens. And then, you know, certainly animals, primates, and then humans happen as culture and whatever. And now you're up there. And those three things are almost ubiquitously identified. Um, And some do another move in between the living and the human person as the animal or the mental some do that and of course you talk does that and you talk does that very very specifically and it has a very strong logic and it says if you miss the joint point okay going from living organisms to what i would call in working with john Burbaki, minded animals mm. okay a minded animal as a sensory motor loop okay it's got a brain a complex active body I mean, we can, and we can trail the evolution, you get jellyfish and then you get planaria worms and they're doing certain kinds of things. They don't really have, they got brains, unlike jellyfish, but they don't have complex active bodies. And then the Cambrian explosion, those planarian worm like things go into complex active bodies, essentially like crabs. Okay. And then meaning that now you have a sensory motor mechanism that lives up, moves up outside the plant movement layer and then starts interacting, reproducing, prey, predation. You get a men- what I would call a mental behavioral ecology, okay? And the term mental in that term is a description, just like living. It's a description of the kind of behavior of a sensory motor loop animal that's sensing and moving and reacting. So then mind actually in the system is behaviorally defined. And this is a weird thing, but it's like you watch, you can watch from a third person perspective the sensory motor looping and functional awareness and responsivity of animals. You do it all the time. You go around, you go for a walk and you watch the birds and the bees behave very differently than the flowers and the trees. In fact, if the flowers and the trees got up and started biting at you, you'd be flipped out. You know, you're like, okay, you're like, okay, you intuit that birds and bees behave very differently. And they do. They behave at a fundamentally different complex adaptive level. And what the tree of knowledge says is that there's a joint point that we can specify. There's a channeling system that gives rise to this domain of mental behavioral ecology, okay? And it's one of the great philosophical problems that's overlooked. And, 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 and it's at the heart of the problem of psychology, whether psychology is behavioral right. or mental. Yeah. And then the tree of knowledge says, oh, it's actually mental behavior. We fucked this up. It's the kind of behavior we're scientifically interested in um and by the way mental behavior is the context in which sentience the first person experience of being probably starting with pleasure and pain emerges okay so it actually captures sentience which by the way from a scientific perspective is a very fucking difficult thing especially even in the animal world we can talk about that but as a scientific object of entity you know that you observe from the third person exterior sentience is really tricky Yeah. Um, So anyway, that mental behaviorism and then the Cambrian explosion in the T.O.K. land 525 million years ago, you see the evolution of things like insects and crabs, more or less, all the way up to primates. Um, And then with the primate land, you get the great apes and then you get the hominid great ape and the hominid great ape takes off creates a really network social system where we actually jam together before language in an intersubjective space where mm. we read each other's attention and intention. Then we symbolically tag shit. And then all of a sudden we symbolically syntactically tag shit and that gives rise to language. And by the way, then the key insight in 1996 start of this whole fucking thing, it's not exactly language per se, but it's actually propositions and question and answers that create rise to the problem of justification. Mm. It's like the structure and function of language are propositional networks of justification that are thought about or challenged through question and answer dialogue. And it is that structure functional understanding that language is organized as a justification system such that the culture person plane of existence isn't just language randomly, but it's the bricked network together of language in question and answer dialogue that's crisply defined as a concept or dynamic of justification across scale And then you get that and you're like, holy shit, that actually, that like nails things.
0: So I want to go, I want to, I want to again, zoom in on a couple of these elements first there. One is, um, yeah, this is why I mentioned the importance of the way that this was framed as an answer to sort of the chaotic fragmentation of psychology as a field, because I think it brilliantly does sort of resolve that confusion, right? If you've got like sort of behavioralists over here, like people studying rats and some people being psychotherapists asking about dreams. And it's like, well, what is psychology, right? but then it's like if you can appreciate that a human being is both an animal operating at the behavioral level of you know behavioral investment and also Primates, yep. a a linguistic and a justification creature we've got Person. multiple <laughs> levels and 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 that we're that psychology is pertaining to in some ways both of those elements but it needs to be parsed correctly in order to understand all that. So yeah. Somebody got the book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, I think that that's really cool and really insightful and really helpful. And it could be, you know, again, and it sounds like maybe it is becoming increasingly sort of revolutionary in the field of, of psychology and as people are, are, you know, taking this online. But um, so I wanted to ask you two things. One, I definitely want to come back to the justification uh, hypothesis and all that, because I'm, I'm really interested in worldviews and how these adapt and evolve and that sort of a thing Um, both at the but well at the cultural level but then as we sort of download them culturally and then they become part of our own you know individual uh domain but before we we go to that route i wanted to ask you about um again you're framing this as sort of sequential um well yeah i don't want to overemphasize the sequential nature necessarily but you're framing this as Mm -hmm. different sorts of information processing in, uh, frameworks. Um, and, right. and that as those come online, you get these qualitatively new kind of emergent domains. I'm curious what you think though um, about something like, let's say integrated information theory, right. Which is what I'm not sure, sure. If you're f- how familiar you are with it, but like the idea of. Yeah, consciousness- no, I know. about that. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. So
1: um, yep,
0: 100%. yeah. I'm curious about if, if, if really all the way this goes down is information and information mm-hmm. processing yep. um, what I find really compelling about the you know about iit is is a kind of beautiful potential synthesis between what we think of a sort of pan psychism and sort of a yep. hard scientific understanding Agreed. of consciousness mm-hmm. so um yeah i guess i just wanted to get your thoughts on how Perfect. you might sort of bring yep. in that iit framework into this sort of model totally i uh, think about the vertical stack as an iit dimension
1: okay so the vertical stack of complexification can be really thought of as by complexification, we mean the intersection between various parts that then they get differentiated, coordinated, and integrated. That's essentially what it means. Uh, now, IIT requires for it to have something that then stores, learns, and adjusts. Okay, um, And then that becomes actually the proper thing of that is consciousness in relationship to its constituents and its capacity to engage in functional awareness and responsivity. Okay? And in that regard... Absolutely, you can then say, well, cells, you know, exhibit consciousness defined in that regard. Okay. Um, and certain kinds of even inanimate organized systems, like even, I mean, they go down to a photodiode, and the photodiode that they train in a particular way that discriminates and then adjusts is the first sort of integrated consciousness information entity that they the lowest level. Um and this is just the little machine you actually build now is conscious, okay? Which is like, oh, be careful, guys, okay? The metaphysics of this is all shitty here, you know, at the level of that. But if you think about this stack of vertical stack on the TOK as complexification, okay, then exactly, that's very close to integrated information, especially once you get to life, because it's an integrated information that coordinates, remembers, and shifts to make predictions and adaptive behavior, and so at that level, you get integrated information as functional awareness and responsivity at the biological level. Now, what gets confusing, okay, is that as I write in my current book, my current book fundamentally is about really getting to the metaphysics and ontology of all of this very clear. When I use the word metaphysics, I mean, what actually is the ref, what's your descriptive vocabulary? And then the ontology, what's your referent in the world that you're talking about, okay? Okay. Um, And I think IIT is misleading because you can have a very integrated information system that's exhibiting functional awareness and responsivity, but it is dark inside. It's a zombie. It doesn't have any experience, sentience, felt experience of being. And my basic sense would be that's probably the case of cells and trees even. Okay, whether they actually you can demonstrate functional awareness and responsivity. In fact, we do it all the time, without felt subjective experience of being what David Chalmers calls the hard problem of consciousness. This is a totally different thing. Well,
0: but but question though, because that they almost definitionally set up the idea that no, as long as these structural integrated information processing loops are created, that is Sentience that is basic awareness. That's what
1: they try to set up. I don't. Yeah. I don't find that. I think that's a metaphysical move of, that's deeply sleight of handish and okay. deeply confusing. Um, because I don't think that there's good evidence to suggest that we can now equate that integrated process with sentience itself. You can actually argue there'd be many good reasons to believe you would be able to see that and have complete absence of sentience. Not sentience on a dimension. Sentience has not happened yet. And I think certainly for me sentience happens in the context of a neurobiological field. You give me, you don't have a neurobiological field uh, that that there's something that happens with the magic of a neurobiological field that affords sentience.
0: So this would be a meaningful distinction then to make between both what, between the Utah framework and both IIT as well as Wilbur, which is that um, you basically wouldn't suggest, or I guess I could try to frame this as a question: Mm -hmm. To what degree is it is it meaningful to suggest that something like consciousness goes all the way down? Right? Uh, Do you like? Do you buy into the sort of that Whiteheadian prehension idea or anything like that? Is there so? Yeah.
1: Yep. So there's a metaphysics kind of that makes it interesting. I believe that the only way our categories of mind are going to understand the universe are through what I uh, sort of be is the certainly scientifically we actually bring the metaphysics of behavior to understand the universe. And that immediately divides you up into uh, entities or objects and fields and then puts them in nodes of relation so that an object is here. And it has then a particular type of perspectival experience where it's going to apprehend the world in a particular way. It's going to have certain kinds of information and force that's available to it that's relative to its position. So you got to metaphysical positionality of a subject that's engaged in some sort of prehension. And our mapping is like, Oh, well that thing's there. And it has access to this information. And what is it like inside of that from the first person perspective of an atom? Okay. Um, so you get the metaphysical mapping that gives a subject of objective flavor, but I'm very suspicious to take any meaningful, that's a mapping for metaphysical, you know, positions and then turn it into, well, then ergo inside of that thing is some, unbelievably small inkling of prehension that relates to the qualia that I experience if I hit my hand and feel some pain. That's a, that's a jump I'm not really willing to make. So I see the metaphysical stuff there in the, but I think that it's basically all darkness at the level of sentience. Um, And then I, then I see the first level of consciousness, which I define in terms of functional awareness and responsivity at the life level. Cells make decisions. They they, you can argue, they definitely demonstrate an analysis of what's going on at some level. They make this as, I see them as complex adaptive systems with semantic subjective processing. Okay. But I also see them basically as robots, like a cell isn't more, any more conscious than deep blue, the chess plane machine in my estimation. Hmm. Okay. Um, but it exhibits the functional awareness and responsivity that gets collaborated into the neuro. Information processing system, which is also a coordinated functional awareness and responsivity. So you see in a planaria worm or a jellyfish, some coordinated neurosystem that's doing that. That's what I actually call mind one, especially when you see it like in an insect. So mind one refers to the neurocognitive, this is my current book, not in that book, but the neurocognitive functional view of animal behavior like an insect, like a housefly. Okay. It's got a brain. It's got sensory motor. It's detecting your swatting. Okay. It's trying to fly away. All right. Um, Do we know that there's something that it's like to be a house fly? Okay. At any level of experience. Okay. The answer is no, we don't have really good arguments uh, right now. You have compelling arguments uh, on both sides of the equation. I am a believer that sentience essentially happens early in ancient form and essentially what I believe happens is a way to yoke together sensory input with desired states like, you know, co- complex dynamic adaptive desired states called that this becomes for the PME equation. And then you have energized motion and then pleasure and pain hook up with sensory inputs to deliver charges to approach and avoid. And that creates at least a functional binding dynamic whereby you get this focal point that's coordinating input, desire and output in relationship to particular yeah. salient control variables yeah. and it's at that level and in fact i have several books right here that make the early case that consciousness is these sensory affective jolts uh, that are connecting and binding together uh, the animal behavior approach void and pleasure pain then becomes the base of sentience as it's coordinating the behavior of the whole, animal as a whole that's an argument you can make a lot of good anecdotal, constructed, but in terms of mechanisms, do we know what gives rise to this and when? And do you know whether a housefly is just a robot or not? That's actually a very, very, un, I would consider it an undetermined right now. Uh, you have different debates on either side and it's a cool question.
0: Okay. Well, that's really, that's helpful to know. And it's interesting to then consider that basically, I mean, part of me wonders then like the epistemological map that the quadrants affords mm-hmm. kind of does that upper what upper left quadrant sort of yep. only really come online with then sentient uh totally. like minimal okay so they're not like yep. so because you frame them as epistemological and i think that almost in a in a more of an integral sense i get them as being more ontological right that these That's are, right he, and of course certainly yeah mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if he he
1: draws a great chain of being, although I take the tree of knowledge and do that, right, I see them as human epistemological quadrants. That's what I see them as. And then he maps them as the quadrants are both onto epistemological structures. And he layers the lines across the, you know, the classic quadrant pictures got lines. Those are ontological lines that he's seen. So this is not just, it's an onto epistemology for Wilbur. I'm critical of that. I don't think that the interior of an atom, which he sticks there and he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about. Okay? Uh-huh. Our knowledge of the interior of an atom's prehension and what we would even say a helium atom, you know, feels uh, even at any level of sense making, I find that to be a very debatable stretch and ontologically it doesn't yeah. make sense to me. So, yep.
0: Yeah. So now what about the idea that as we recognize these increased levels of complexification emerging in the universe um trying to make sense of the of that reality by means of some kind of motivational force that is sort of um inherent in pretty much well even at the level of 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 crude matter i mean you touch on this a little bit towards the end of the book um of sort of talking about the god (laughs) question and whether or not you know and i think you do a good job at that but uh yeah i think that that would be sort of a, a way that Kind of a my sense of sort of a whiteheadian or even a wilberian answer of this would come in and be like well no there's really something that's still totally. motivated there in some way what do you make yeah. of that um, I'm agnostic about that uh, so
1: i I consider myself an agnostic atheistic, syntheist okay in terms of my overall theology what that means is I'm not I'm not a foundationalist about truth claims I consider the unified theory uh, a unified theory of knowledge for the 21st century what I mean by that I, you know. 300 years from now, <laughs> oh, that's fucking full of shit, okay? And <laughs> I was like, we're going to change everything and I'm going to get a lot of shit wrong. And I certainly don't have God's eye view of truth by any stretch, I don't think anybody does. I'd be scared, curious of that. So it's a contextualized system. It's certainly like Bashkar. I make ontological claims that I feel are justified that transcend cultural claims. You know, We get cumulative knowledge, um, but I'm not a foundationalist, uh, so that's key. Uh, and then um, the the thing that I want to kind of help people you know, think about is is that we can change the, the ontology of matter versus mind. The way it came out of the Enlightenment, I actually talk about what's called the Enlightenment gap, is all fucked up. That's it's the wrong ontology, uh, and we can shift our ontologies through this picture that actually revitalizes our soul and spirit. Okay, and then rebridges and reclaims many many different things. So um, when we get to then this issue of God, okay. Um, synthism. So I'm a- a- atheistic with regards to personal belief in personal gods that care about this conversation and that we would know that. Um, people can certainly have faith in that, they feel that, I respect all of that, but that is a the- theological theistic position. I'm without belief in that and 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 you know, whatever. Um, but I am then a syntheist. Alexander Bard turned me into a syntheist, which means I believe in the concept of God, okay, and the God we create. All right. And the synergies by which we are called to create something transpersonal to us. OK, that we can sense what good, true and beautiful is and mm-hmm. be called into that in a particular way um, is unbelievably meaningful to me. And I've had some spiritual revelations. OK, right? some spiritual revelations. All right. That feel that there's a, maybe an ontology on the cusp of that thing. OK, oh. <laughs> I'd so, like to hear about know. those. So, I mean, well, I mean, I, the, um, I mean, there's an empirical you one. You don't have to get yeah. into it right now. No, I mean, well, I'll give a, I'll you, I'll give you a straightforward, in. I'm yeah. an empiricist. There's an empirical one. There's a thing called the fucking singularity. Okay. Which people like Ray Kurzweil talk about. You hear that all the time. All right. Well, there's a guy, a Russian scholar in a big history journal, which actually I was publishing, I published my work in big history journal. And then I was reviewing big history journals and I came across the skies Work Korov. He's a Russian. Sorry if I get his name wrong. Anyway, this guy looked at the analysis of evolution of complexification. Okay. And he took Kurzweil stuff, but he's a Russian. So he knows all the Russian history and they have a whole different like indicators of evolutionary key moments. So now you have two data sets, an Eastern and a Western data set about the time to the next big event. It's very simple metrics. Like, okay, so this took 5 million years, and this took 500,000 years, and this took 50,000 years, and this took 5,000 years, and this took 500 years, and this took 50 years, which, by the way, is basically our evolution. Really interesting logarithmically. Um, So this guy puts the plots, the Ray Kurzweil plot, from the Western side of the equation. And then he argues that actually Kurzweil missed that it's a hyperbolic exponential on the, if you really want to map it, it's a simple term, but you essentially, you need to add another exponential that Ray Kurzweil missed at the t- tail end of the acceleration, okay? So he takes his hyperbolic exponent, looks at the Eastern and looks at the Western lines, okay? Puts this super simple equation on it, all right? Has a 0.996 correlation, unheard of in the context of any social stuff, 0.994 correlation here, and they cross, okay, one crosses 2027, meaning that the lines are happening so much that they basically go to vertical, which means the, z- the time between the next biggest n is zero within this context, okay? And this one goes to 2029, okay? So the, the vertical line <laughs> in the context of evolutionary complexity is lined up to happen sometime between a window of 2027 and 2029. And here, in a flash of insight that I have in 1997, okay, I draw out five, four cones, right? Matter, life, mind, and culture. I'm stoned in Vermont, Burlington, and have a freaking flash. All right. And then as I'm, you know, digesting what the hell this means, each one of these is an information processing communication system. I I now emphasize communication system is really key. Also, I didn't in the book. It's information processing within communication nodes between. That's the really complex adaptive network. You see that with life. You see it with mind. You see it with culture. And I'm then, once I get the code that what the fuck are these goddamn cones, right? I'm like, oh, that's what they are. They're complex adaptive systems, mediated information processing, engaged in communication. And that's not reducible to the physical stuff beneath it because it's the informational form that actually generates the content, the response. And that's not reducible to the microscopic physical mm-hmm. states. Mm-hmm. Ergo, you cannot get ontological reduction. Anyway, then I'm, the, but once you make that, you're like, okay, well, obviously I'm not that stupid. It's one, two, three four, right? Is it, so then you ask, well, well, what is it? what happened to each? Well, there was an information processing network that started to get distributed, and then all of a sudden it started to come together at a higher organizational level. Well, I mean, you look back at the goddamn 20th century and you ask a question, is did, was there an emergence of a novel information processing system? Did it begin to get networked together? And was there increasing interface about it? And is it not quite at a place where it gets synthesized and then organized at a global level? It's like, oh, my God, we laid down the landscape for a novel information. The digital metaverse gets laid down in the 20th century, 20th century, you know, and now we're in the 20th century and that's the we're going to have a Cambrian explosion. We're going to have the fifth joint point. This is all 1997, 1998, where I see the fifth joint point, the idea that you can then go find this Russian guy, track the evolution of complexity and says, actually, this point is going to happen between 2027 and 2029. And I'm looking at my life going, what the fuck? You know, how the hell is that empirical reality real in some random, you know, variation and selection retention of a universe that isn't alive? I don't know. But I tell you what, it gets all my cells going. Uh, all right, you know, uh, you know I'm agnostic. I'm tapping out on uh-huh. any genuine ontological claims. Uh, but I feel spiritually oriented to this thing in a particular kind of way. Yeah. And my science side is like, all right, buddy, if you're looking at those kinds of data,
0: I'm with you. So, so this is so cool, and I'm really okay so um yeah 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 and i think that one of the things that i don't know bard uh in that in the synthism book they talk about you know uh kind of not relegating god to the beginning of the universe but Mm -hmm. but you know not not sort Mm -hmm. of seeding him uh the idea of god but sort of you know Mm -hmm. taking that up and projecting that into the future uh there's a great uh, poetic quote about that i'll have to throw in the bottom somewhere but anyway um so then this gets into like all this omega point and and mm-hmm. you know you know tear de Cheden and all that sort of yep, stuff totally. which i'm super interested in um but here's one of my concerns where a lot of this comes up for me and i think it probably mm-hmm. a lot of people will resonate with this is that i've been very uh cynical and skeptical about sort of the transhumanist you know kind mm-hmm. of like singularity totally. oh you know the it's it sort of breeds it Plays into the sort of you know Silicon Valley will save us, tech gods, Elon total. Musk sort of mythos. Fucking and I disaster. yeah, and so I'm 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 I want to be able to embrace the idea that these new technologies that are coming online and maybe yep. even will produce some kind of total qualitative shift in the next decade uh, of all you know civilization essentially. Uh, I'm, I'm open to the idea that that's going to be somehow deeply meaningful as well, but it's, it's a challenge, right? And, and and this is sort of the challenge, I guess. Well,
1: right. So I call this, so uh, here for me, so your fifth point, I call this the digital identity problem. Okay. Digital identity problem. So the digital identity problem is this idea that we're at this very precarious place. Uh, We're on the edge of the horizon of heaven and hell. Okay. And there are all sorts of things. We've developed this modernity, post-modernity gives us unbelievable amounts of power in certain domains, in the physical world, okay, and and we can manipulate shit, okay? But because we don't get the ontology right, it saps our souls, we get a meaning in mental health crisis. And because we're not wisely using our power, we're turning the God, the Anthropocene, is, is pressing on Mother Earth in a brutal way, okay? And we are then also creating all these massive technologies, and that, meaning things like, you know, nuclear weapons and bioweapons for dangerous destruction of an unbelievable scale. And now we're creating the digital metaverse, a la Zuckerberg, okay, which is, affords all sorts of possibilities. But, oh, my God, if we're basically having a bunch of quasi-autistic men systematizing this and creating fucking algorithms in relationship to relationships, we're already alienated as shit from our primate cells. Where the hell are we going to go? Download ourselves to some digital metaverse? Yeah, that's what they want. It's unbelievably terrifying. I was listening to Jordan Hall. I didn't get through it, but his web 3.0 just came up on, uh, you know, Rebel Wisdom. And he's brilliantly articulating that, oh, well, what we're going to do. I mean, he says web 2.0 and cryptocurrency. Well, we'll just do engage in game. theory. And he's being he's he's into this. I'm not uh, he's he gets it as a critic. He's basically, well, we don't really need to think about humans. We just need to think about them as game theoretic actors that are engaging based on investment principles in relationship to structures. And the aggregate of that will be all right. So we'll plug all this shit into algorithmic stuff. And we find at this level, you know, of structure and it's like, yeah, that's gone really well. Just ask Tristan Harris, you know, it's like, oh right. my God. Um, and they were like, so they're empty vessels and the, and the unified theory comes along and says, you Operate in the digital metaverse that we're fucking empty vessels. You are gonna gut this thing and you're gonna create all sorts of unbelievable instabilities. What you need is a wisdom stack, you need a coherent mm-hmm. integrated wisdom stack across the dimensions of complexity to yeah. afford this to be actually grow in, which means we got to get in touch with the material world. Yes. We also need to understand the living world that we're living organisms. We need to understand we're goddamn animals into primates. And we're human persons that need all of this stuff. And then we have a digital metaverse on top of that. And we need to understand how to take the empty vessel of a human being and turn that into something that's filled. And I have this thing called the I-quad coin that I built, okay? The I-quad coin represents each of us, this side of it, represents each of our human identity, okay? So human identity function. And the argument basically is if I listen to what... um, you know, Jordan Hall is like, yeah, these algorithmic guys—they just okay. we just we'll just distribute the probability of algorithmic outcome in as empty vessels. It's like we need to fill each one of those empty vessels with the actual souls that we are. Okay, right. so right. the digital this affords us a digital identity solution that fills in the wisdom stack of human nature in relationship to the emergent digital metaverse, and it's going to be that bridging, if we do it well, that will afford us the orientation toward heaven and allow us to fill in. The stack of us as human persons, primates, organisms in a material world that affords us the digital powers, but actually keeps us wisely grounded in what it is that we're actually doing holistically.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yes, indeed. No, I think that, and I think that that really helps solidify what what the meta narrative's significance is. Because right now, if you're, I mean. I'm new to all this stuff. I I just learned about what a holarchy is, you know, earlier this year, you know. But like, I've been, you know, I had my whole existential crisis around reductionism, and oh, if we're all just, you know, this, then nothing really matters, and all stuff. I just think, a bunch of chemicals. Yeah, just mm-hmm. I, it, there's such a need to be able to understand this sequential emergent evolutionary sequence, and and then to provide the context. appreciate the wisdom stack that you need to get in touch with you know not just some propositional mental understanding of certain ideas but to get into all the various substrates that kind of go all the way down and that's the only way that we can build something at the level of a metaverse that's going to have any legs to it without just the whole thing crumbling down and so you know, and then it becomes well, okay, a... brother. That's that's the mission. That's <laughs> so exactly becomes, the mission. It's a pedagogical problem. But I also I mean, profoundly, it's a it's a spiritual problem. And here's where I'm really interested. It's a cultural spiritual problem, which means it's a it's a it's a it's a mythological problem. It's we need to reorient our mythological frameworks to this. And actually, this is a great little segue. And one of the last things I want to touch touch about touch on is, you know, you, you mentioned this, let me see if I can find the quote, but you basically say, you know, that we we need to uh well you you used the language of um uh of 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 a new mythology actually which i mean you know here you go you say i made this connection because i wanted to emphasize the tremendous need for a new mythology for modern times and this is a big reason why as i gather you're you're generating these uh, symbols and images, the, the, the garden and, and the Utah tree and all that. And so this is, this is my project that I'm passionate about that I want to bring people together on. I, you know, talking with for and layman Pascal about this, but I want this to be a cultural broader conversation and a, and a cultural project. It's also, I mean, gosh, if there's a meaning crisis, what more meaningful endeavor could a person pick up than the idea of actively participating in a Renaissance of mythological frameworks that are going to save the world by emphasizing the constituted wisdom stack that connects us to our ultimate, you know, both where we're going and where we came from. Like, what, you know, like, can't get better than that. So, okay, hey,
1: brother. <laughs> I and mean, you know, the,
0: and, and yeah, and it's
1: really weird as a Dawkins-esque atheist kind of person to evolve the way I did in relationship to this embracing of this entire the fundamental need for mythos as the cultural sensibility that guides and bridges is and ought and bridges our collective intelligence and gives us purpose and meaning and value. And rather than, Oh myth, it's gods like Santa Claus. I mean, that's not what mythos fundamentally is about. It's about what are we doing collectively in we space that gives us the is ought bridge to orient ourselves. And we put it like that and you're like, Oh my God, well, what would be more important? Right. Yeah. Um, and then the problem fundamentally is how do we bridge modernity traditional uh, Christian, or in this culture, Judeo-Christian, for me, um, because I'm in the Western context, into modern science, into the postmodern critique that then gives rise to a meta-modern synthesis. And I didn't know I was doing this, but my whole spirit has been called into this space. And so i named the damn thing the tree of knowledge, okay? And the tree of knowledge, of course, is a reference. The original system is a reference to the tree of knowledge of good and evil in in the Bible, whereby, you know, You're gonna eat off of this thing. And the whole message is all, are we actually gonna wake up and ask questions about what good and evil are, AKA we're gonna actually become self-conscious and justify in the beginning, there was the word, okay, John Peterson talks about this, and then we asked, well, what the fuck, we're good and evil, and oh my God, I'm naked, and what am I, and oh my God, I'm going to die, and then we fall out of paradise, right, because we wake, we, we couldn't help ourselves, we had to ask a fucking question, what good and evil is, you had to eat off the damn tree, right, and then we kept asking more and more questions, and then we fell further and further away, and although we got closer to truth with science, it also killed our souls, is the argument. But now we can get to a place where we actually know how to eat off the tree of knowledge, okay? That's the whole idea of the tree of knowledge is actually we can reconstitute science as an origin story. And this is actually Big Dave Christian from Big History calls his system origin story, okay? And we can reconstitute it. We can learn through science. Now we've matured through a tortoise. a second enlightenment is what I'm actually calling for. So we can actually reestablish good and evil in relationship to scientific truth okay if we have a holistic coherent naturalistic ontology that affords us clarity about our subjective agency in relationship to that space and so i did that built that thing and then i got transformed into calling into this return then to paradise i was in a conference where the whole garden popped it was called cultivating the globally sustainable self OK, and there were all these brilliant people there, lots of different processions, but they all got together at the end and they were asked, so now how do we do this? And they they basically, in my estimation, they fumbled the question. Nobody was too abstract. I don't know what the self is. And I left there and I was like, hey, and I had these kind of a tua was the name of the thing at the time, unified theory, unified approach. And I was like, hey, I talked to my I was next to somebody I was like, who knew my stuff. And I was like, we should plant a Tua seeds and grow it to a trees. OK, that's how it actually started. Uh, so we cultivate the global sustainable itself. We can return, plant seeds of education, because Zach Stein have teacherly authority that is designed to cultivate, not coerce through propaganda, but cultivate a knowledge system and hand off the baton to the next generation with legitimacy and depth and authority and care, and then afford the growth of that. And then what happens is then the growth of that becomes the garden. Uh, and so now we can return. And that's now that you talk tree of life, the first branch of which is the tree of knowledge. So it's a call that we can overcome and we get back to right relationship to the concept of God and return to the garden. Uh, and I have a thing called the elephant sun God, which shines above the garden, which is the sign of the ultimate goodness. And then ultimately I've been developed as well. We also have this digital identity problem and I've created the coin, which then each of us affords their capacity for the human identity function to wake up consciously of all Put yourself in right relationship to is and ought and then orient consciously. So some coherent, integrated pluralism gives us wisdom stack. That to me is a religion for
0: the nuns. Mm. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I want to be cognizant of time. It's one fifteen, So I, we should probably wrap this up, but, um, but yes, uh, I think there's there's so much uh, synergistic overlap here. I'm really excited. It seems you got me passionately integrated yeah,
1: activated yeah. brother. So there uh, it is. I love it. Yeah.
0: Um, there's also so many things we didn't even uh, get to touch on. I wanted to yeah, talk more about justification uh, theories and and uh, or justification hypothesis. The mm-hmm. issues of value. Um, yep. and I wanted to learn more about the iQuad coin for one thing. I want to talk more too about, well, I'd love to hear more about that elephant sun god. That sounds pretty yeah. cool. Um, but there's, a, yeah, there's a lot more that I'd love to dive into. Maybe we could return to this at some point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, um, you know, I'll throw out there too, it, in order to try to propagate and get this stuff out there and especially the sort of more kind of develop this mythos in a meaningful way and, and, and form the, the kind of pedagogical and symbolic toolkit in order to express and promulgate that understanding of the necessary wisdom stack that's needed. Uh, You know, I've got this wiki out there that I don't know if you've seen anything about that. It's got some of your framework in there, but I want to have seen that collaborative creative thing. mm -hmm. So I'd love to start making these connections and getting some of this stuff out there because, you know, you've got some of this material already, and it'd be really cool to, you know, start mixing this in with a broader conversation, allow this to kind of evolve and adapt and be reapplied and all this sort of stuff. So that's sort of my dream. Um, and, uh, the kind of makes approach. my heart
1: sing, man, makes my heart sing. This is exactly what we you know, we need to create the seeds for a coherent, integrated pluralism. We need to thread our systems together exactly. Yeah. And those kinds of platforms afford that. I'm happy to work. You know, I love this, love what we're doing, love that I've been able to connect with so many people uh, and there's got to keep growing this, you know, there's yeah. a lot of work to be done. If we're going to yeah. orient towards heaven instead of hell, let's do it. And,
0: uh, I'd love doing it with you. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, we'll revisit these things that I, I hope another time. But uh, in the meantime, oh. Godspeed, my friend. Take care. Thanks. Again. All right. I'm happy to come back whenever, man. It's like great joy. You take Awesome. Care. Adios.